Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio, show number 440, uh, with the rather intriguing title of Less Career Path, More Crazy Paving, uh, but more of that uh, shortly. Um, first of all, some introductions. So Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement, and we are the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country, and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on best great practice. Um, so do, do visit us at engageforsuccess.org to learn more and where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. And I'm Jo Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts and managing director and founder of Woodread. Woodread is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. So back to today's title. Uh, today's show, um, Less Career Path, More crazy paving and we're going to be talking about neurodiversity at work how to create a workplace culture that values and celebrates the strengths of your neurodivergent people rather than um, what is often the case working against them and to help us navigate that particular topic. Um, I'm very pleased to welcome today's special guest who is Kathy Brown. Uh, Kathy is CEO for the Initiative for Social Entrepreneurs. So welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you, Joe. I think I've just given a perfect example of one of the challenges of ADHD, which is doing everything at the last minute. <laughs> yes, well, well, we'll come to that in a moment. So um, those of some of our listeners may may know Kathy as our former executive director at Engage for Success. As I say, she's now CEO at the Initiative for Social Entrepreneurs and was unexpectedly diagnosed as having severe ADHD last summer. And she's joining us this week to talk about neurodiversity at work and how simple changes and understanding, and hopefully we will at the end of this half hour have a great deal more understanding, uh, can make working life easier for many people, how we can create workplaces um, and cultures that value and celebrate the strengths of your neurodivergent people um, and, and, and build on those for, for the benefit of everyone. Now, Kathy is one of the UK's top 50 influential neurodivergent women, which is a great accolade. Congratulations on that, Kathy. And is now on a personal crusade. Um, and my goodness me, when Kathy gets on a personal crusade, you want to watch <laughs> out because it's all about raising awareness of the challenges, the strengths, the joys, and sometimes the hilarity of possessing a brain that works differently to 90% of the population and and it's really causing her to reassess her whole career to uh, to make sense of this new insight so so yes um a perfect illustration there kathy if ever one were needed so um, many of our listeners will remember you as as executive director of engage with success and i can't really believe it's been four years since you moved on to pastures news so tell us tell us a little bit about what you've been up to in the four years since I know, four years, Joe, almost to the day, actually. It was June, I think, that I, uh, 2018, that I left Engage for Success. 
Um, right. I went, I went from there to a fantastic organization called the Employee Ownership Association, who'd been very mm-hmm. associated with Engage for Success, actually, on the original task force and that type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I spent a, a very happy, um, oh, I think it was about 15 months there as their mm-hmm. director of operations. And that brought me into contact with um, not only employee-owned organizations, which obviously was the focus of the EOA, but also co-ops and social enterprises. Uh, So essentially looking at businesses that were owned in a different way to a standard business model. Um, And I find that incredibly interesting. And from an engagement point of view, interesting that people working within them are, are often more engaged than the general population. So that obviously ticked lots of boxes for me. And I came out of that contract at the end of 2019, and I'm sure many people will remember uh, we were waiting for Brexit, we were waiting for a general election, everything was very uncertain, and of course we had no idea how uncertain it was going to get. Um, (laughs) Little did we know, eh? Little did we know. You know, be careful what you wish for, uncertainty, my goodness me, it then kind of came (laughs) careering down the path, didn't it? Oh, didn't it just? But um, so I was it was really difficult at that point and um, Mm. I sort of picked up some freelance work as I've done over the years doing um, engagement sessions for organizations but I wasn't getting very far in in looking for the sort of next leadership role that I wanted and then of course absolutely pandemic hit and everything closed down and eventually I spent nine months unemployed and I spent nine months working in a warehouse um, because you've got to make ends meet you've got to pay the mortgage and and Everybody who knows me will know that I'm not one for sitting around, not doing anything. Mm. So um, I applied to every single place I could apply, and a local warehouse took me on, um, which was, I I wouldn't wish it on anybody, um, but it was an incredible reminder of how important things like good management are and how easy it is to take those things for granted. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had a bit of a torrid 18 months there, but um, lots of personal growth. And then this time last year, I was very excitedly just about to start my fabulous new job at the Initiative for Social Entrepreneurs, which is a job I love. It's very, very purpose driven. It's about helping people start organizations that are trying to change society for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's nothing better for me than that. And I love what I'm doing currently. So all is good in that way. All is good. And and wasn't that 18 months in the warehouse very much a sort of a, a, a long term um, practical sort of back to the floor experience to enable you to sort of reassess and re, re, um, sort of refine everything you've always thought about management and leadership and engagement in a in a in a real kind of real life laboratory setting almost? I, it really was. I mean, that is what it made me realise. Um, you know, you, you're a low-paid worker with no certainty about anything. You're working zero hours. You're working shifts. Um, it was it was a real eye-opener for me. It yeah, really, really yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel I feel there's a book looming there, Cathy. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Okay. So so you've been in the new role a year. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but then last summer, pretty much then, therefore, mm-hmm. if you've been in the new role a year, um, pretty much th- th- around about the same time, you found out something that changed everything you thought you knew about leadership and fostering an inclusive place. And, and I guess as well, 
um, it changed everything you knew about yourself. So, so tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it did. I'd yes, I'd not been in the new role very long, um, three or four weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had a I had a friend who'd been going through diagnosis of ADHD and then um, autistic spectrum disorder. And as you do with a good old Facebook, I'm sort of supportively liking the posts that she's making about this journey going on. And I genuinely never, ever associated anything like ADHD with any of the sort of challenges that I would keep hidden in my life. And I accidentally clicked on a video because I don't watch videos very often. And I clicked on this mm-hmm. video and, and quite literally light bulbs came on. Um, it was such a vivid description of something that I've struggled with since my teenage years um, and which I now understand to be an absolute classic um, symptom of ADHD. And for me, this particular one that rang all of these bells and got me looking into it was um, the way that we, we build barriers that stop us doing something so I I chronically procrastinate about all sorts of things I find it hard to start things Um, I Mm -hmm. find it hard to finish things and you know most people will go yeah yeah everybody does that I do this all the time Um, and and what happens as a result is you become overwhelmed because you feel like you have so many things that you're not doing and and then another classic ADHD response to that is to actually do nothing um, right. you, you reach a point of, of standstill almost while all of this stress and, uh, and obviously fear that you're not doing what you should be doing and your internal monologue is going, why can't you do this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, so I, yeah, it's, it's an absolute classic ADHD thing. And I had never realized. Um, and, and does so that become a self, does that, Kathy, does that, does that then become a self-fulfilling prophecy? You, it you can know, you... do, it can do, but it's it's also one of these things that's actually knowing it mm. in very many circumstances will enable you to change it. But actually, this is how my brain works. So even mm-hmm. though I know that about myself and I understand that it's not me being lazy, for instance, doesn't mm. actually help me change it because it is a neurological difference. Our, our brains yeah. are wired differently. Um, and, and obviously ADHD will be a different thing to dyslexia, which is in a similar sort of family, as in mm-hmm. dyspraxia, which is slightly more physical, and indeed autistic spectrum disorder. Um, mm-hmm. So they're all clusters, neurodivergences, um, but they will all have different sort of elements that come together to produce a sort of profile of somebody um, who, who has that divergence. Okay, so it's taking the example that you gave at the beginning of yourself, the, <laughs> the inability to begin things and yeah. the inability to finish things. Mm-hmm. Once you know that, though, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are you then able to start things or are you, are you still no further forward? Do we have to do something um, else to sort of unblock that? Yes, yes. You, you get better at understanding why why you're not doing something for a start. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for instance, one of the killer things about ADHD is boredom and fear of boredom. And our brains are just going all the time. They want input all the time. And we have immense difficulty 
doing tasks that we consider as boring. And quite often, our brain won't even make a conscious decision about whether we think it's boring or not. It will literally just go, boring, and then mm-hmm. you can't see it. You don't, you don't remember that thing. You don't, your eyes pass over it if it's a physical thing. You just don't mm-hmm. see it because your brain is mm. saying, no, I can't do that. That's just really boring. And we're not motivated in the same way as the general population. So most people will be motivated by rewards, consequences, that type of thing. Um, and mm-hmm. so you will be able to make yourself do a boring task because you know that if you don't do it, the consequence is worse. Um, tax returns is, is one thing. Yeah. Washing up, washing yeah. up is another, you know. Um, most people can motivate themselves to do the washing up because they don't actually want to live in a really filthy kitchen. Um, mm. I find washing up just unbelievably boring, and I am entirely capable of just simply leaving it because what happens is I then just I just don't see it. You I stop seeing it. it. Yeah, I can yeah. completely ignore it to to a, a the nth degree, um, and. As a result, of course, then all this stuff builds up around you. And, mm. Yeah, you know, I'm say written things, physical things. Mm, it's, it's an interesting. Okay, thing. so so you you described your situation, ADHD. Mm. You also ref, talked about dyslexia, dyspraxia, and, mm. and, and you know, um, I suppose you know things like high functioning autism and and all yeah. sorts of things. There's a, a lot of things in the neurodivergent sort of basket aren't there and therefore yeah. every what you describe for you is going to be very different for yeah. somebody else even somebody perhaps with the same situation as you but is a slight in a different slightly different yeah. sort of place on that so why is this all become why have we become so much more aware of this now why are we hearing all these terms mm. now is it simply that science has caught up with where everyone's you know, if we're able to put a label mm. on something, or are we but more? Is there more of it about, or, or, or yeah, what? Yeah, uh, there's certainly an element of that of, of greater understanding that mm. that it's a, an actual neurological condition, um, mm. as opposed to, I mean, ADHD particularly, uh, you know, is very often written off as bad parenting or naughty children mm. or anything else and and, mm. and so yeah absolutely science has, has advanced to a point where we can actually say no no it is actually a neurological condition that produces these symptoms and mm. we can address some of those symptoms in certain ways if people choose to and the other thing that's happening at the moment is we've reached a sort of tipping point of awareness and mm-hmm. uh, particularly with women so women are vastly underdiagnosed with ADHD particularly, and it's because mm. it presents slightly differently to, to what people understand the stereotypical picture of ADHD to be, which is your yes. small boy bouncing off the walls and um, you know, being hyperactive. Um, and yes. actually a, a very small percentage of even male ADHD presentations like that. Um, mm. Women, just, we rarely have physical hyperactivity. It's quite unusual. Um, we mm-hmm. tend to have what's known as inattentive ADHD. Uh, uh-huh. So we will, small, small girls, we'll have had our head in a book. We'll have been, you know, distractible. We'll, we'll have school reports that say she'd be really good if she paid more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, we sort of slide through school. We're a little bit better socially at kind of getting by and wanting to fit in. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's quite common with women to get diagnosed in later life at two stages. One of one of which is when our own children are diagnosed, because we suddenly understand more about ADHD and we think, oh, this is familiar. It sounds <laughs> then, yeah, it sounds like. Yeah. Hang on, I think I've seen this before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the other stage is is what's happened to me, which is the women who get diagnosed at menopause. Um, and mm-hmm. that's because it's actually there's a hormonal impact. So the lack of estrogen um, really brings to the fore all of our ADHD symptoms. Um, right. Gosh, that's a double whammy then, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it just? And if if we're lucky at that point, somebody will diagnose us, but it doesn't always happen. And right. um, what's I'm say this groundswell is particularly amongst women, um, and so there's more and more of us being diagnosed and then there's more and more of us being vocal about it um, mm-hmm. and so of course that means that we're raising awareness and I, I believe I read a report last year that said um, it's something in the region of 300,000 more women last year alone went for assessment for ADHD than the year before I mean it's, it's just huge goodness Yes, well, it, it is the classic thing, isn't it, whereby we've, you know, the easy, the easy, lazy stereotype of the of the fidgety little boy who, you know, is a bit hyper, and you just don't don't imagine that in a in a grown woman in in her in a later not later life but mid year middle years I think we say shall we have it middle years um, prime I can call it that let's call it that so okay so and and so of course neuro, in essence the term neurodivergent it is a broad is a broad basket mm. of, of 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 various um, presentations and types but mm-hmm. and and awareness is growing all the time which is good mm. you're on a bit of a personal crusade to, to mm. raise this awareness so thank you for tell, coming on today to talk about it so from our listeners point of view um mm. you know, as you know from from when you've hosted this show in the past and you're involved in success we have quite a broad church in terms of people that listen hr operational ceos leadership people learning and development people od people um let's just talk now about the impact then in in the Mm. workplace perhaps starting from your own point of view but then Mm. then perhaps talking a bit more broadly to people Mm. no yes of course So for me, one of the things it's made me realise is that I need to be actually quite rigorous about saying no to things. Um, I say yes impulsively to loads of things at work and Mm -hmm. in life, and impulsivity is absolutely an ADHD characteristic. And unfortunately, what happens with me is I say yes to things on impulse that um, I then don't do because they're actually boring. <laughs> I've said yes to the <laughs> non-involved. Um, and so I, you know, I've got a personal thing there around being careful what I say yes to. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I've got a, a thing around understanding how I ask people to do things that interact with me. Um, and so when you realise actually what you have is a condition that means that you don't actually deal very well with people on the telephone, for instance. So I've always mm-hmm. had a problem with phone calls. I don't like receiving unexpected phone calls. I don't actually like making phone calls. Um, however, I'm fine with Zoom and Teams and that type of thing, and I'm fine with written communication. And when you don't understand why that is, it's just a really silly thing. And you don't like to say to people, well, can you not call me? Because it's, mm. it's just embarrassing. And now I have no shame in saying, 
I really, really don't deal very well with phone calls because I feel like they put me on the spot and I can't organize my thoughts properly. So if you want to talk to me, I infinitely prefer it if I can see you, if that works mm-hmm. for you. Um, mm-hmm. If not, then my sort of fallback is to have an arranged call when I know it's happening and I can, and I can obviously prepare for it rather than suddenly feeling like I'm being faced with uh, something that I can't organize my thoughts around and where I can't see half the conversation because I can't see all of that body language and everything else that is happening that you get obviously when you're yes. visibly with somebody whether yes. it's remote or not um, yeah. many ADHD people have what's called time blindness um, and so we're unable to um, accurately estimate how long things will take us to do and mm-hmm. we, we can be very bad or conversely, interestingly, very good at timekeeping. So I'm generally very good at timekeeping. I'm hyper about being early for things. But actually, mm-hmm. that's a, it's a sort of defensive reaction against the fact that I know I could very, very easily be late for things and I don't like being late. Um, right. And that's, that starts to get you as a leader thinking, if I've got somebody in that position where it's genuinely not their fault if they are late sometimes. You need to start thinking about what you actually mean by diversity and inclusion and things being equal. And actually, somebody like that with severe time blindness down to ADHD may need to have something like a ranged start time that they start within, as opposed to you must be at work at nine o'clock. Um, and you probably, if you, especially if you're in a shift-based environment, you can't have all of your people doing that because your shifts are shifts for a business mm. reason. But you mm. need to be able to say, we as a company will support people who need to actually be told you can start between 9 and 9.30. We understand that sticking to a specific time is significantly harder for you to do than it is for other people because you have a neurological difference in your brain. Um, And so, you know, just even small things like that can can cause you immense degrees of stress because you don't want to be late. You really, really Mm. don't. You certainly don't want to be late again and again. And again. So where does the onus onus lie, Cathy? Is the onus on the individual to speak up and say, hang on, this is me, this is what my condition, whatever it might be, um, the implications thereof, Mm -hmm. and therefore I need you to do X, Y, Z? Or is the onus on managers, people, leaders, HR, to identify... um, that those sort of almost I mean because it's not for them to diagnose that of an individual it is so it is difficult Uh, it's very difficult and and obviously you can have people like me who will have been operating under challenges and say like procrastination in my case and Mm -hmm. you know all sorts of other bits and pieces without realizing that that was what the problem was Um, and you, you can't you know it's very difficult in a work situation to go up to somebody and say do you know what have you ever looked at ADHD? I, you know, I, you, you've got to really have somebody trust you to be able to have that level of conversation with someone. But yeah. For me, it's a shared responsibility, Joe. So right. I think if you if you do know that about yourself and your work environment is not working for you, then you need to be able to find somebody within that work environment who can make help you change that whether that's your manager whether it's HR whatever it is 
Um, but I think organisations have an obligation to create environments that can work more for everybody. I mean, one of the things that you find is making changes to help people with dyslexia or with ADHD, sometimes with dyspraxia, are actually just things that are useful full stop. And we just simply don't do them because nobody suggested them and it would be a change and we can't be bothered. Um, one example of that is um, dyspraxic people particularly can very often struggle with assimilating instructions that are given in a group scenario. Um, mm -hmm. And what's useful is to make sure that those people have either a written update of what those instructions are or a one-on-one -on -one update perhaps after that briefing. And you know there's going to be a lot of people that are actually in that scenario. And so making sure that you actually have a range of ways of communicating important information with people and that you use those in a, such a way that the people who need something specific can have it in that way. And mm. that's, that's how you start to look at creating a workplace culture that, that helps everybody. Um, you know, it, it okay. takes thought and understanding. That's, that's really interesting because one of the things I was going to ask you is what's the impact on the, the rest of the workplace when somebody, mm. so, you know, somebody comes along and says, actually, you know, um, and you talked about the shift situation. So mm. let's take that scenario. Um, mm -hmm. Well, actually, sorry, I, everyone else has got to get, to get yep. has got to clock in by eight o'clock, but um, I can't do that. I, I need to clock in. I can't clock in at eight o'clock. I need to clock in between eight and eight thirty. Yeah. That's gonna. Whilst that may be very caring and understanding and inclusive for management to take account of that for that individual. Other people are going to feel well, special treatment for so and so. That's potentially going to be demotivating and and mm. and, um, and, and and damaging for the wide wider engagement. Yes. But isn't it? But it, I mean, I, I know I I'm using that is, example very yeah. very bluntly. But what you're saying is actually yeah. some of these things can be just generally helpful across the board if you only look at them in a creative way. Uh, absolutely. But, but also, for me, you hit on one of the key points around actually creating an environment where people think that, feel that they belong. Um, and mm -hmm. so you're talking even beyond equality and, and diversity and inclusion, really, but that sense of belonging is everybody has to feel it and support it. So it's not just ever about working with your minority people, whichever group there are, there are a minority in, but it's actually about working with your whole set of people because everybody needs to be able to support the fact that some people will need things differently mm. um, that might or might not disadvantage somebody else who can't have them. Yes. Um, you know, for instance, again, another fairly classic ADHD element is that the piece I was talking about, about not being able to organize and verbalize your thoughts on the spot. Um, in an interview scenario, how far back does that put you if yeah. you haven't got access to specific interview questions, for instance? And yet mm. somebody else who's going through that process can look at that and go, well, they've had access to the questions. Of course, they're going to do better because they don't have any understanding about actually how difficult it is for somebody with that difference to actually organize and verbalize their thoughts. So you've got a piece there around creating 
a belonging environment which everybody in your organisation supports. And as ever with culture change, you know, that's not a quick thing. Um, but talking about it and trying to understand it has got to be your starting point, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've, we've only got a couple of minutes left, Cathy. Um, as always, these, uh, these shows fly by. So I just want to mm. quickly finish up. Um, we, we've kind of touched on it as, as we've gone. We've, you've talked about creating an environment of, of belonging, a, a general belonging. Um, so what would you say the one thing that leaders particularly um, can take away from this conversation and, and perhaps uh, you know, in terms of action, a broader, um, broader understanding of this? What, should they, what actions could people take away having heard you today? Yeah. I think the quickest and easiest thing that you can do is go and educate yourself. There are so many mm-hmm. good resources out there around understanding neurodivergence in the workplace now, and, and it's just improving all the time. Um, there are great books to read. There, you know, there are super websites to look at. Is just understand so that if somebody does come to you and say, oh, you know, I've discovered I've got this, or this mm-hmm. isn't working for me. You've got the starting point to be able to to talk to them about it. And you know what? We're creative. We're we're spontaneous. We say yes to things impulsively, and we go and do stuff. You know, we really do. If something interests us, blindly we'll dig in there and we'll focus and we'll get it. So there are so many strengths that come with having everybody working to the best of their ability within your organization why would you not take every opportunity to make that work for everyone excellent no absolutely why would you not indeed kathy so um lovely thank you so much um so thank you to today's special guest kathy brown ceo uh, at the initiative for social entrepreneurs and thank you for listening to engage for success radio a brief reminder to look out for our next engage for success event on may the 20th uh, where we're going to be exploring the fourth enabler of engagement um and we'll look forward to seeing you here uh, next week and um, meanwhile don't forget you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time just visit engageforsuccess.org and if you want to get involved in the movement get in touch at engageforsuccess.org as well so thank you very much for listening and goodbye engage for success radio raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work